Hi, my name is Irfan Vafai. And I'm Molly Keck. And I'm Wizzy Brown. And we are with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension through the Department of Entomology. And this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. And this week, since we're just coming out of the cool weather, we thought we'd talk about insect overwintering strategies. So we often get the question, and I don't know if y'all had uh, any any cool weather this winter. We, we had, had snow. Yeah, y'all had Five snow. Inches of snow. Yeah, we had snow in East Texas too, enough to to take out our power for a solid twenty four oh. hours. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we lost electricity. Uh, but the, but the question that always proceeds uh, after a cold spell like that uh, is people ask, well, is that going to kill all the insects? Do y'all get those questions in your areas as well? Yes, all the time. Yeah, and so we thought we'd take this episode to talk a little bit about insect overwintering strategy. How is it that they survive the winters? Because I'm originally from Canada, and I can tell you there are plenty of insects there. So they have uh, numerous strategies to actually be able to survive the winter. Uh, And there's three main strategies that I think we can discuss here. Uh, One is freeze avoidance. So they have a way of stopping their bodies from actually freezing, even though they're in very cool temperatures. Uh, They have uh, freeze tolerance, meaning that they can actually tolerate. And the last one is they basically find a nice little habitat in which the temperatures aren't necessarily that cold. Uh, And so that might be things like uh, those lady beetles that you find coming into your house later in the fall time, they rely on human structures essentially uh, because uh, they, they can't survive the cold weather. And so they are coming into warmer structures in order to survive. So let's start off with freeze avoidance. They have like an antifreeze in their, essentially like antifreeze in their, in their hemolymph, right? So they yeah, don't so they can like, freeze. yeah, yeah it's it was like really cool. Glycol. Yeah. These, yeah. these are my favorite ones because it's like, it's the, the antifreeze of the insect world. And so people always freak out when you tell them, yeah, insects have an antifreeze, kind of like you stick in the car and they're like, what? yeah it's kind of fascinating (laughs) yeah they can actually make those same molecules right the ethylene glycol so that it has a much lower freezing temperature right so like prevents ice from actually forming in their bodies and so you can you know greatly decrease the temperature at which you freeze by by synthesizing these um, and that's how they would kind of do this freeze avoiding Um, and then we have the freeze uh, freeze tolerant insects, which I think are some of the really fascinating insects, and they can be frozen, uh, like you know, completely frozen and and thawed out, and they are alive. Do you all and have sometimes any? Sometimes like, for yeah. long periods of time, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have a, Do you have a favorite, or are there any cockroaches that are that are freeze tolerant? Do you know? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think that there are. Um, there, there might be, but I, I don't know of any. I know there, there are some crickets. There are some crickets that are uh, freeze tolerant, but yeah, I don't know of any cockroaches that are freeze tolerant. Anyone who's ever done an insect collection and tried to kill their insects like in the freezer <laughs> and then pull them out too soon is very well aware that they can come back to life after you think that they're dead. And that was probably my first experience with it when I had a butterfly that just ripped its wings all apart. And- <gasps> ruined it because I only put it in the freezer (laughs) for like, you know, a few hours instead of days. (laughs) We had, when I was doing our insect collections and we were out collecting, um, one of my students had a beetle 
that he actually had left in the freezer overnight. He had pinned it and it actually got up. It has the pin in through the body and it's like walking, trying to escape. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw I one like, of those. It's a horrid sight. It's basically stuck and it's just going in circles. Uh, with, like, with I'm so sorry. Yeah. 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 You feel pretty bad, <laughs> but that's an excellent example of freeze tolerance, right? There are some insects. There's a, uh, what's it called? The goldenrod, goldenrod fly. It's a, it's a type of fly that can tolerate being frozen in liquid, liquid helium. So like incredibly low temperatures. Yeah. And, and for prolonged periods, like we've said. And so this is kind of, you know, people are looking at this as um, kind of the beginnings of human cryopreservation. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's true. I mean, you know, Molly had mentioned earlier before rec recording about Disney World and how Walt Disney, I don't know if, I don't know if he actually, <laughs> his head is actually frozen somewhere. And, and like Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I thought, that, I don't know if that's different. real or not, but there, there's certainly, I know, investigating how that mechanism works in insects and whether you can actually replicate that in other organisms such as humans. Well, don't some insects, I know that a lot of them before wintertime, they clear out their digestive tract. So nothing will crystallize because essentially when you're talking about ice crystals forming, it has to have something there to start that formation on. So like a dust particle or something. So I think while well, one cleaning out the digestive tract, that way it doesn't crystallize in there. But I think with a lot of the cells, I think there are some that um, they kind of push stuff out of their cells so they when they do freeze it's fine and they can't form it's like they form the ice crystals and the fat body instead of like the necessary areas that they need i mean the fat body is just basically storage and kind of nutrient holding yeah i think they call them like ice nucleating agents is like a specific molecule that uh, ice needs to form that crystal structure on just like you mentioned so if you had like pure water it won't actually freeze at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It can freeze. It'll freeze much lower than that. I think it's like negative 38 degrees or something. Absolutely. I think crazy. you're right. Yeah. It's something very low. Yeah. And they call that super cooling when something is below a temperature at which it could actually freeze. But since there are no ice nucleating agents, ice is unable to form. Um, and so insects, yeah, they, they kind of will, will remove those ice nucleating agents out of their cells so that, like you said, when that freezing occurs, it doesn't disrupt and or destroy all their cells, right? Because it was like crystals are pretty sharp and jagged. Um, so, yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then and then going back to antifreeze basically prevents ice from attaching to those ice nucleating agents. So it's like the opposite of that. Both of which are super cool strategies. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then lastly, which, you know, we're mentioning, you know, how insects will find a, a warmer habitat. So again, that was, we already mentioned the lady beetles and the household. Box uh, elder are, bugs are a huge one. Box elder bugs. Yeah. Are there any others in, in y'all's area? Well, like ants, right? They'll just go deeper down in the soil where it's warmer. I think that's also what people don't realize. Like in my area, we don't, freeze very, very often. And when we do, it's for a very short period of time. But I mean, if you're underneath a leaf, you're not in freezing temperature. So it has to be really cold for a long time. They're able to find hot, warm pockets. I had a 
one time I was taking down Christmas lights and the, it was 31 degrees outside. It was freezing. And I, there were mosquitoes that were active because I was taking the Christmas lights down under kind of the eaves of the beams of the house. And, um, it had found a little pocket in the little corner and the wood was a little warmer and it was moving around. And then it crawled on my very slowly crawled on my arm. But I mean, even when it's freezing, freezing degrees, they can still be actively flying. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I thought <laughs> and it was also very cool. frustrating when we're talking about mosquitoes. <laughs> well, but that's also kind of like the, I mean, when they, cause they are, um, they're cold blooded animals. Insects are, but when they use their wing muscles and they flap their wings, they can increase their body temperature as well as kind of a little pocket of air around their body temperature. And so I think that covers kind of the, the main strategies that, that insects use. Now, you know, they're not always over surviving the winter or the cold in all different life stages. Depending on um, the insect, different life stages can be more or better suited for different temperatures. Oftentimes, I think it's usually egg and or pupil stages that survive winter temperatures. There are some insects even that might require um, a cold temperature during their pupal stage in order to actually properly develop or properly survive. Because if it's too warm in that pupal stage, then they might be using resources too quickly and might not actually properly develop. Um, and so, you know, I think when we're talking about very early insect populations, like where they might be coming from, you know, for example, aphids. Um, you know, aphids, at least where the temperatures do get quite a bit cooler, uh, they have a very unique uh, life history where usually during the summertime, they're, they're producing live clones of themselves. So they're just all live offspring. But as the temperatures start to cool, uh, the day length shorten and, and there's environmental degradation. So like plants are also starting to get ready for winter. Uh, aphids will actually start producing eggs which again is like not what they do at all during the summer, but those eggs can survive those cooler winter temperatures. And then as things warms up, uh, then those eggs emerge as new aphids and you get the cycle that repeats. So, you know, I think, and then, you know, if we look at something like lady beetles, we said they can come into the home. We look at something like crepe myrtle bark scale, what it seems like, and these are these scale insects, these white spots you'll see on crepe myrtles. It seems like, uh, it's the immature stage, about the second instar immature, which is kind of pink, has a little bit of white waxy on it, but it's a lot harder to see than those white spots. But they'll be kind of in like little cracks and crevices of the tree. And so they are finding a nice little microhabitat, and they are kind of sitting there waiting for their next developmental stage. Presumably, that's, that's based on observational data so far. Um, are there any other kind of common insects that y'all work with and that, that you're familiar kind of with their overwintering strategy? Well, if you think about like dragonflies and damselflies, they will overwinter usually in the immature stage, which is aquatic. And so they'll be down underneath the ice where it's actually protected by that ice layer in the frozen pond. And they're kind of down just like the fish do. I mean, they're, they're yeah. down there hanging out and continuing to go about their business. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, um, like butterflies and moths, right? Like you'll have a nice warm day in the middle of winter time and they get confused and they think, oh, I'll have to, I have to emerge. And you wonder where are these butterflies coming from on a nice day? Well, they, they came out of their pupa case. And then we use that right in schools when we 
when, when people raise butterflies, if, if, uh, I always tell teachers, if they're raising, usually it's painted ladies or something. If you think they're going to emerge over the weekend, stick them in the fridge and that way they don't. And even if you're ready, if you think something's going on and time has gone too long in that pupa stage, stick them in the fridge and take them out. Maybe it just needs that shock of, um, temperature change to make them want to emerge. And that makes me think of, you know, so going back to the original question that people ask is, you know, this winter was very cold. Should we expect lower insect populations? Um, and it almost seems like more than cold temperatures, what's kind of maybe important for regulating or reducing insect populations would be drastic fluctuations in temperature. So insects have a very good ability to kind of adapt to a gradual change in temperature over time, getting ready for cold or warm. But when you have quick cold and warm snaps, that can presumably catch them off guard. So they are not able to produce their cryoprotectants, their um, antifreezes uh, quick enough or, or get themselves ready to be able to tolerate freezing quick enough. There's usually a bit of a process that's involved in actually getting ready for those, those environmental changes. So when we see those, those large fluctuations, I think we can actually at least see some drastic change or, or perhaps reduction in, in populations in general. Well, and also if we have multiple, um, warm, cold alternating, that can reduce the population as well, because they are using up those resources that they have stored because they have to go into diapause. Then they come out of it when it warms up and then it gets cold again and they have to go back in. And so it's that back and forth that can also cause issues. Or they emerge as adults and don't have time to mate. And so it kind of cuts down on that population too. And so I think this also brings us to another question of, you know, especially if you're a home gardener and you're wondering where these insects are, are surviving, where are your pests, you know, during the winter? Uh, and, and how can you reduce their populations? You know, so again, just going back to if they're overwintering, uh, very near the specific crop that you just planted, which is, which is a good chance. So if it's something that they feed on it's likely they're overwintering right, right close to it. Um, then that's kind of why we talk about things like crop rotation or, or moving some of your plants around so that at least when that aphid first emerges or whatever insect just emerges right out of that ground or out of the leaf litter, you haven't gone through the trouble of giving it exactly what it wants right there. <laughs> You've at least made it a little bit more difficult by moving things around and making it less uh, ideal for your pest organism. Yeah. I mean, think about it. An inch for an aphid to move is like a mile for a human to go. So you right. just, I, yeah. I think that uh, people, when you say crop rotation, they don't realize if you've got three garden beds, just don't always put your cucurbits in that same garden bed, switch it up and just rotate things around. And that can, can just really confuse them. So they die on the way to their favorite plant. So another method that insects can use to escape colder weather, and probably there's a really good example, uh, is migration. And monarch butterflies are probably the quintessential insect that are known for migrating. And so they travel from the overwintering locations in Mexico. Well, the populations that we typically see here in Texas go to Mexico. Um, but there are other populations that go to other locations. There's some on like, I think the California coast and other places, but ours that come through Texas go to Mexico and then they go up through the Mideast up into Canada. And these are not the same butterflies. That's something that often confuses people. The butterflies that are overwintering one year are not the same ones that are coming back. It's a different generation. So they 
will reproduce, excuse me, reproduce as they're going along. And there's just some component within their genetic makeup that kind of tells them where to go and how to get there, which is kind of impressive. If you think it's crazy, it. right? Because it's like the great, great, great grandchildren are doing what their great, great, great grandparents had done prior to them. And they're bugs. They don't have brains to like tell stories and have stories be yeah, told down they, to they them. They don't have a map. So, I mean, it's kind of fascinating that they can do that. It is. And of all the years that people have been studying that migration, no one still really quite understands how they know where to get back to where their great, great, great grandparents came from. It's it crazy. seems like specifically that overwintering site. I mean, what's remarkable is how they find that overwintering site. Because I think, you know, migrating up north, you know, they, they use the, the polarization of the sun and, and sun direction right. and so on and so forth to kind of get a general idea. But the fact that they're able to they go back to the same patch of the forest to overwinter year after year is yeah absolutely remarkable. And, and from my understanding, still is not yet fully understood. And yeah, so there are a number of insects that, like like you mentioned, Wizzy will uh, do that type of migration. That's ones that just are not adapted at all to cool temperatures. So they may be coming up every single year uh, where, you know, here in East Texas, we, we get some cold snaps. So we might have to have some insects that migrate back in. But if, as you get further down South Texas, um, you know, you might have some more persistent populations of certain insects like Chili thrips, for example, is not a major issue in East Texas, and one of the reasons is thought is is just not um, not very cold hardy. And so we go down Houston and further down, there are persistent populations there. Uh, and so you know, if they all of a sudden got much better at flying, maybe that would become an issue here. You know, shortly after Houston, every single year as it warmed up, they would migrate up, have a few generations, and then the cold would knock them down, which which is what a lot of insect populations may also be doing as well, such as the monarch butterflies. Well, I think that covers most of the insect overwintering strategies and hopefully answers a lot of the questions people frequently have about whether insects can survive extreme colds or how they keep returning here year after year. So hopefully that's been kind of helpful for you. And we hope uh, that next time you'll join us as well, as we'll be talking about pollinators, some that you might find in your garden or some that you may help cultivate, such as honeybees. So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, again, this is Bugs by the Yard. And my name is Erfan Bafai. I'm Molly Keck. And I'm Wizzy Brown. And we are with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Department of Entomology. Have a nice fortnight. Mm-hmm.